We remain standing for the reading of the gospel. I do know that you heard the thunder during the Bible study hour. Perhaps I should have chosen an Old Testament smiting passage, but we are going to go with the gospel reading this morning. From the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning at verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom, who does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few months ago, I took a tour of the U of L campus with my grandson, who wants to go to school there, and with my daughter. In the back of my mind during that tour and seeing all the buildings and hearing the things, the programs they offered, my question was, what's required to get in? You can look at Mark's gospel and think of it as a tour offered of the kingdom of God. And here, Jesus states the requirement for getting in become like a child. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't see myself going back to be eight, nine, ten years old where the only thing on my mind was playing baseball. I can't see myself going back to a time of innocence because I don't remember innocence, I remember ignorance. Can't do it. But the truth also is, I don't want to do it. I've often said, oh, if I could just go back to when I was young and know what I know now, which is to say, I really don't want to go back to when I was young. I don't want to go back to being vulnerable or feeling alone or feeling helpless or dependent or naive. Or maybe your childhood was different. Maybe you remember so many things that were, were happy or for many not so happy. And you just don't want to go back there. And here Jesus says the requirement for getting into God's world is dependence and innocence. And I have to say I can't do it. And honestly I have to say I don't want to do it. Or maybe you were taught this story as, as I was growing up, with, complete with pictures. The pictures may have varied, but the scene was pretty much the same. Rosy-cheeked white children, really, with bright eyes and clean clothes, playing around Jesus in rich Kentucky bluegrass. There was lots of laughter, or maybe the scene where Jesus is holding a child on his knee and telling a story, and no child fidgets, and no child blurts out something overheard one parent say to the other when they thought it was private. Or maybe they're playing an exuberant game with no grass stains, and no pushing or shoving, just lots of contagious giggling and certainly no contagious diseases. Norman Rockwell would be so proud. 
but Norman Rockwell did not write the Gospel of Mark. I don't think this is about the simple faith of children for us to imitate because it would just be imitation. I think this is about the precarious state of children, their vulnerability, their lack of status, their powerlessness, the fact that they were so often overlooked. In the first century Middle East, 60% of children died before they were 16 years of age. 60%. I can't fathom that. I don't want to fathom that. It says they brought children for Jesus to touch. And the word touch appears again and again in Mark's gospel. And in every instance, he's touching to heal. This is not Jesus frolicking in the Kentucky bluegrass with children. This is Jesus visiting Norton Children's ER where parental anxiety is thick in the air. So far in Mark's gospel, the daughter of the synagogue leader has died. And the daughter of another woman who's an outside group, somebody they don't really want to be part of them, she's really ill. And there's a man's son, and he says he has a demon. They're sick. And the disciples spoke sternly to the children and to these parents, You're not going to enhance our standing. You're not going to enhance our mission. Go away. And apparently they've not been paying attention to the tour guide. And it says Jesus was indignant. What a sweet word, indignant. It conjures up an image of an elderly aunt who is clutching her pearls and pretending to swoon because her favorite nephew has uttered a word in polite company that she thinks doesn't belong there. We could talk more about what the word really means, except my elderly aunt would swoon once again and clutch her pearls. The truth is Jesus is already angry at this point. If you look back in the end of the chapter nine, He says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better if you had a millstone hung around your neck and you were thrown overboard. In the first part of this chapter, he tells people they're hard-hearted. And you don't get the sense he was just talking smack. Hard-hearted was a description of the Pharaoh who had enslaved their ancestors and nobody wanted to be lumped in with the Pharaoh. could be insulting, or maybe it was just uh, an adequate, accurate description. Jesus is angry. Why? In the encounter just before the children, the Pharisees have arrived, the ones Jesus calls hard-hearted, and they've approached and they want to play a gotcha game. You know, ministers also often encounter somebody who wants to play gotcha. They'll come to the back door there and wait for their moment, and they'll ask you some question out of the blue, possibly to prove my hypocrisy or my stupidity, neither of which is difficult to prove. But it's kind of a game. This is far more serious. This question about divorce is the same one John the Baptist got killed for. They want to play gotcha with Jesus and put him in the position to be killed. But he turns the table on them. He challenges their male domination, their patriarchy. 
He says to them, basically, you have a hierarchy that oppresses the people at the bottom, that oppresses the women who have no power. He said, you're just like the pharaohs who oppressed the people at the bottom, our ancestors who were their slaves. You maintain systemic injustice. The religious leaders at that time were often thought of as shepherds. It was their image because they would function for caring and protecting the flock. They were to nurture the people. They were to protect the people, stand between the people and predators. But with all that's going on, and Mark draws this picture of such great suffering in the ancient world, with all of that going on, they come up and want to play gotcha with Jesus and get him killed. They have become predators. And the disciples have kind of joined them because they don't want to be bothered with these sick kids. And they don't see how they harm. You can almost hear them saying, oh, they're just women. They're just kids. 60% of them are going to die anyway. And they harm by how they see. The system was such that the father owned the child not just your dad, but somebody who owned you. It was rife with abuse, and it was a training ground for abusers, and Jesus challenged it. We harm by how we see. When we look down from a horse while cracking a whip, we fail to see the humanity of Haitian immigrants. When we blather on from comfortable congressional seats about migrants, we condemn them to despair and even to death. When we look at others with a me-first attitude, we miss the sacred humanity of others. When we can only think of how others can serve me and my bottom line, we miss the holy that's in them. When we see and define by the color of skin, we miss the indwelling of God. Last weekend I did a wedding, delightful bride and groom, but I met a groomsman I'd not met before, rough looking character. I couldn't decide when I saw him if life had been hard on him or if he'd been hard on life. Had all kinds of tattoos, kind of devilish looking tattoos. Maybe that was off-putting to me, I'm not sure. I just felt wary of him. And then when I got a little closer to him, I noticed a tattoo over his right eyebrow. And it was a name. And so I asked, who is this person? And this gruff-looking character said, it's my sister, my little sister. She has cancer. Had I just gone with the first impression based solely on his skin, I would have missed the fierce love he had for his little sister. A love so fierce that he would permanently inscribe his name, her name on his body. Jesus invites us to see the weak and the powerless and let it mark us so that all will know that all of God's children matter. He's announcing a new order, a new way of life, a new way of seeing. 
In the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, the synagogue leader pleads for his little girl. It's a tender phrase, translated daughter, my little girl. And the efforts to care for her are interrupted by a grown woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And Jesus refers to her with the same phrase, daughter, my little girl. She's at the bottom of the social ladder, the religious ladder. She has no esteem. And Jesus sees her that way, too. We want to be part of God's world. Here's the requirement. See people through the eyes of love. See all of God's people through the eyes of love. See them with a posture that the arms are open to embrace. Blessed by the very way we see It's not about becoming children. It's about seeing and welcoming all of those who are like children, weak and dependent. It's seeing all of those who get identified by their color or by their gender or by their orientation or by their poverty or by their lack of education or by their age or by their migrant status. Seeing. During the pandemic, Mary Helen and I have watched a lot of TV. I'm sure more than is healthy. One program we watched was from Colombia, South America. And yes, you had to read the subtitles. It's based on a true story of children abducted from rural villages and forced to be with the gorillas in the jungle where they're taught warfare They're taught how to kill, they're taught how to survive, they're taught to steal. And the lead character in the series is a girl named Belky, stolen from her family when she's eight years old. And only caught when she's a teenager, caught stealing. But jail is different because Columbia knows that these children have been taken and that they've never had a chance. And so they have a re integration program where they get them education and get them job training and get them back out into the culture and they keep it kind of secret because people don't want these former terrorists with them and there's a social worker who sees in Belkey her brilliance who sees the possibilities for her and helps her get through college and then medical school of all things a girl trained in the jungles going to medical school. And when her traumatic, unspeakable past rears its ugly head time and again, it's the social worker who sees her through and sees the possibilities for her, who sees the future with her. Jesus invites us to see. And there's a word of great caution here. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. If we refuse to see the broken, the alienated, the marginalized people of the world, if we cannot see our oneness with them, how can we claim to be hanging out with God? Right after this this passage I read, the, the story of the rich young ruler is there. The wealthy man who comes claiming to have kept all the commandments. And he's wealthy, gives some of his money away. 
Jesus tells him what he really needs to do is sell everything he's got and give it to the poor and come follow him. He brushes aside his claims to piety and says, you're looking at the world from the top down. You need to get rid of all that and get down in the bottom where you'll know what hunger is personally and where you'll know what poverty's like and you need to see your connection to all kinds of people and follow me. And I will open for you all the beauty of loving everybody. William Kent Kruger has written a delightful book called This Tender Land. It follows the exploits of some children who've had to run away from abuse. The last sentence of his book is this. Far better to be like children and open ourselves to every beautiful possibility for there's nothing our hearts can imagine that is not so. Amen.